Welcome to the New Hope Podcast. Our mission at New Hope is to engage our city with the love of Jesus, one relationship at a time. We pray this message encourages you in encountering God's love and displaying it to your city. We hope to see you soon. Hey, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. Hey, thank you um, for just taking some time for us to pray together. Um, we do value relentless prayer, and uh, so I want us to continue to just find ways where we pray together. Uh, Charles is out of town. He's in Atlanta this week. I believe Atlanta, Georgia, I know for sure, but I think a suburb of Atlanta helping lead worship uh, for a conference. And so just continue, if you would, just pray safe travels um, for him. We are beginning a new series. Uh, we are going to look at two series. If you missed last week, I kind of introduced two series we're going to look at this year. We're going to do 10 weeks in the Ten Commandments, and then we're going to spend the remainder of the year in the book of John. Uh, but this week is starting the Ten Commandments. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 20. Uh, Exodus 20, we will kind of unpack the, the introduction at least to the Ten Commandments and look at the first commandment uh, there at, at that time. Um, but the Ten Commandments, um, so... Why the Ten Commandments? Uh, Ten Commandments for a couple of practical reasons. Uh, I shared this story last week, and I'll share it again. Uh, a few months ago, we, uh, I was on a retreat, and um, one of the uh, uh, guys at the retreat is a TSA agent, and one of the ways he works with internationals when they come in from uh, just talking, I'm just in the international portal, I think at JFK, but one of the things, because he's a Christian and the other guys he works with knows he's a Christian, when a pastor comes in, a lot of times they find out that people who say they're pastors may not be pastors, but um, they're trying to lean on the benevolence by, of people by saying they're a pastor, thinking that they'll just, uh, you know, whatever reason. So they may be lying on their visa or whatever. But anyway, so what one, of the, one of the things they do is they send them to this friend of mine, and he just simply asks this person who says they're a pastor, what are the Ten Commandments? Because if you know the Ten Commandments, like if you're a pastor, you know the Ten Commandments, right? And if you don't know the Ten Commandments, then you're not really a pastor. And then they have issues and they talk through that. And I remember that story being told and this thought came to a moment. I'm an American citizen. And when I leave the country and come back, I'm just nervous. I don't know why I'm nervous, but I'm just nervous. Like, I mean, like, I, you know, like, what's your name? I, I get nervous, like Jonathan, right? And for whatever reason, uh, coming back into the country, talking to the TSA agent who hasn't smiled in probably 20 years, just staring at you, you're like, I get, I get nervous. So I'd imagine like, hey, in the moment of me being nervous, even as a pastor, I get asked that question coming into a foreign country that I don't, you know, that I don't know the traditions and the customs or whatever. And I get asked that question, in the moment, I might be able to tell you like two of them. Like I might just get so nervous. And so I started thinking, you know what? I, I should one go read the Ten Commandments to make sure I know them. But as I was reading them, I really realized like, hey, these, this has some incredible foundational truths that I think are just really helpful for us to study and unpack. And so the more I even read them and looked at them, I thought, you know what? I really want to preach through these. And so that's how we got to this. So I don't know. It wasn't this overly spiritual moment in my time with the Lord where it's just like, you know, you should teach on the Ten Commandments. It was just kind of this series of events that led me to read them to go, you know what, I really want to preach through the Ten Commandments. When we look at the Ten Commandments, we often, uh, we think of them 
as we look at them, they're just real basic, to the point. You've probably grew up hearing them, whether you're in church or not. You've probably seen them posted in different places, maybe around town or in different, whatever. But I really think the Ten Commandments can tell us a lot about Jesus and our relationship with him. And there's a lot of misconceptions I've found, even in my own life as I was thinking through the Ten Commandments, but it definitely as I talk to others as we look at the Ten Commandments. So with that being said, I want to read Exodus chapter 20, just verses 1 through 3. It says this, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me, um, you shall have no other gods before me. Let's stop there. Here's the main point of the sermon. If you want to write this down, this is going to be the guide for our whole conversation this afternoon. Here's the main point that I will argue, or Exodus uh, 20, verses 1 through 3, will teach us, is this. God redeemed us and requires us to worship him exclusively. The main point of the sermon. God redeemed us and requires us to worship him exclusively. Let's unpack that together. Three points, all unpacking the three phrases. The first is God redeemed us. When we think about the Ten Commandments, especially even as Christians who have a good understanding of the New Testament, uh, a lot of times, if we're not careful, we can think the Old Testament is all about laws of do's and don'ts um, that are really difficult, 613, if I remember correctly, do's and don'ts that you are aren't allowed to do. Some of them are really weird. Some of them are like, I don't understand. How does this make sense at all? And then we get to the New Testament, we're like, thank goodness it's all about grace. Like, thank goodness Jesus came. Thank goodness that my salvation isn't dependent upon the do's and the don'ts. The Old Testament salvation appears to be all about the do's and the don'ts. New Testament is recognizing that I can't live up to all the do's and the don'ts, and therefore Jesus came to forgive me of my sins and to redeem me. Now, there's a lot of truth in that, but there's it's a, it's a really bad understanding of the Old Testament if we think about it as do's and don'ts. Because here's what I want to argue, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, even though we have the Old Testament uh, lays out a lot of the do's and don'ts to show us God's righteousness, the Old Testament does not teach us salvation or forgiveness of sins through necessary obedience of earning our salvation. And we see this even at the introduction of the Ten Commandments. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament start with our redemption. Look at Exodus chapter 20. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Then he gets into commandment one, which is you shall have no other gods before me. Now, the order here is very important. God redeemed us first before he gave us a commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. God's redemption of God of the Israelite people were what? They were slaves in Egypt. God rescued them out of Egypt, and now they are rescued out of Egypt. A covenant has been made with them, and the requirement is thus then to be obedient to him. I think it's important because I, I want us to see, here's what I thought for so many years, that God created all things, that sin came into the world and broke that relationship with God, all of which is true. And then God laid out a salvation plan, plan A, of 613 things we had to do to earn, earn our salvation. 
And then I was taught and believed, well, those things were impossible. So now, because God showed us the Old Testament that all the do's and don'ts were impossible, even if that was his plan all along to get to Jesus, that all the do's and don'ts were just to teach us our inability to keep up with God, even though it was possible if someone were to do it. But since that didn't really work out, now he gave us Jesus. And actually, salvation is now through what Jesus has done, not through what we've done. But in the Old Testament, it's still taught a workspace salvation. And here's the thing I want us to get. is That's not true. God's plan from the beginning has always been justification through the works of Jesus Christ. Even here in the Ten Commandments, it is not taught obey and be saved or obey and you are redeemed, but it starts with our redemption. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament start with our redemption. So when we begin to talk about obedience, because even within the Christian culture of theology, specifically Catholicism and Orthodoxy, still teach a great part of theology that salvation has a lot to do with your works. Even if it is starts with God's grace, it is completed in your works, which is what Catholicism teaches, because of the emphasis here, even in the Ten Commandments, and the importance of obedience. And I want to say yes, that there is an absolute importance to obedience, and that's what we're going to see in the Ten Commandments. But I want us to get from the very beginning that our obedience is completely a response to the reality that God has fully redeemed us, that we are redeemed by His grace. And in the same way that the Israelites did nothing to save themselves from Egypt. In fact, they actually worked against it. They, they worked against it. They complained. They griped. They wanted to go back. But God did all to what? Redeem them. And once they are redeemed, on the basis of their redemption, he then requires them these things. So I want us to see God redeemed us. So let's start. As we get into Ten Commandments, we are not teaching workspace salvation. We're not doing any of that. What we are doing is recognizing that in the Old Testament and the New Testament, our obedience begins with the redemption that God has in our lives. God has redeemed us, and therefore, therefore may have been better than the and in the phrase, but God redeemed us, therefore requires us to worship him exclusively. So let's talk about that. The requires us. This is where we get into the Ten Commandments. See, you've got on one side, you have those who say, hey, God gives us all these commands that are necessary for salvation. You've got to be faithful to these things in order to be in right standing with God. We would step in and go, impossible. No, that wasn't even God's intention, even in the Old Testament. God's intention has always been to point us to Jesus, that our redemption is in Jesus. So no, our salvation isn't dependent upon our obedience. Our salvation is dependent upon Jesus and Jesus alone. Okay, But then there's some who swing so far to the other side that goes, well, since our salvation is so much on the grace of Jesus, who cares about obedience? And what I want to say is neither are faithful to what I believe Scripture teaches. Scripture does not teach our salvation is based on obedience, nor does it teach us because we have salvation, there's no need for obedience. What I want to say is Scripture is right here in this, God has redeemed us and therefore requires us and calls us to obedience. And specifically, he calls us to worship him exclusively, which is the first commandment, which we'll get to in a second. But let's talk about the requires us. It's a call to obedience. First John chapter 2 says this, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. 
right? So he's writing so that they may come to obedience. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation or payment for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know him. If what? We keep his commandments. So here, John's arguing that our keeping of the commandments is evidence that we know him. It's not the cause of us knowing him. Remember, John chapter 17 says eternal life is that you know the Father in him whom he has sent his son, Jesus Christ. So to know God is to have salvation. So there's evidence that we have come to know him if what? We keep his commandments. Obedience is the result of coming to know him. Obedience is the result of him redeeming us. Obedience matters. Verse 4, whoever says, I know him, meaning I have salvation, I'm in relationship with God, but does not keep his commandments, is simply a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, keeps the word of God, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And so let us get this. That our obedience is a result and expectation and evidence of the fact that he has redeemed us. It's a call to obedience. Now let me define obedience for a second. I want to simply define it this way. It's the willingness to submit your will. It's the willingness to surrender your will over to something. Well, let me illustrate this physically. Um, it's, it's the 9th of January. It's the first, well, I get technically, I guess, the second week of January now. But it's, it's early on in January. And what's common early on of every January? Well, there's these New Year's resolutions. And probably the most common New Year's resolution is I'm going to eat more broccoli and work out a whole lot more. Like that's probably a, it's a saying of one of the most common New Year's resolutions. Why is that the case? See, when we often think about freedom, because when I think about the fact that Christ has saved me and redeemed me, he has given me freedom. And some would say that's the freedom to do and live however I want. But that's not true in the physical realm. When we think about freedom, that I can eat whatever I want, I think about my kids because our kids, like for example, today, this afternoon, Ella said, hey, can I have a snack? And my response was, depends on what your snack is. Why, why do I care? Because if she's going for the chocolate candy, my answer was going to be no, because I wanted her to eat something healthier. Why? Because her body has a restriction and we know that that candy may not be best for her. I remember being a kid thinking, when I grow up, I'm going to eat whatever I want. I thought freedom was the ability to eat whatever I want. Well, New Year's resolutions is telling us that many people recognize that their desires go against what is best for them. Right? So when my alarm goes off in the morning for me to get up and spend time with the Lord and to work out, my desire is to go, mm, I think I want to hit snooze. Right? My, my will in that moment is to go, no, I think I want to go back to bed. But what we do, we submit our will in order to do what is we think is best for us. And so what do we do? When we have the food in front of us we, that is not good for us, when we choose to not eat it, we are surrendering and submitting our will to what we think is best. We're putting restrictions to what is best. We do the same thing with working out. 
right? We, we decide to go work out. We decide to run a little bit more. We decide to lift weights. We decide to, 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 to do crunches. And sometimes we pay someone to tell us to do these things that we don't want to do. Why? Because we know that it is good for us. We are submitting our will to restrictions that are good for us. We get this in the physical realm. But when we begin to talk about morality, our culture will tell us, no, no one can tell you any rules or restrictions for you. Morality is wholly up to you. That truth is wholly up to you. That there is no outside thing that's telling you what is right or wrong. But in every other category of our lives, we know that that's not true freedom. But true freedom is actually recognizing we have restrictions and living within those restrictions. Well, when we talk about the call to obedience, this is what morality does. And this is what the Ten Commandments is doing. This is God giving us restrictions for our goodness. When in, in submitting to obedience, God has redeemed us and requires us. A lot of times I think we look at God requiring us, or, or maybe even ourselves, we stand up and go, you can't tell me what to do, that I can do what I want, and if this is right, then if I think it's right, then I'll do it. But that doesn't work in other areas of your life. That doesn't work in physical. Go ahead and eat and do whatever you want and see if that's what's best for you. And if you just happen to really like broccoli, then okay, then maybe that works out for you. But for the most of us, that doesn't. And so when we come to and submit our wills to God, we are recognizing that moral discipline is good in our lives. We submit our will to eat healthy and to work out because we recognize the limitations of our physical body. Well, the same is true with morality. If we ignore those limitations of morality and don't allow anyone to be over us, it it is not what is best for us. In the physical, we submit to a trainer and do what he or she says because that is what's best for us. But oftentimes in morality, we will submit to no one. And what I want to challenge us with, what the Ten Commandments is challenging with, what God's Word is challenging us with, is that we do have uh, a one that we are to submit to. And this is the main point. God has redeemed us, and part of that redemption is an expectation to submit and surrender our will unto Him. And listen to this. True freedom comes in recognizing our limitations and submitting our will to it. Freedom is not a lack of restrictions. Freedom is just knowing the right restrictions and boundaries for our lives. So when it comes to morality, then, okay, if, I, if I'm willing to submit to the idea that, that I could use some boundaries in morality, well, then whose boundaries do I submit to? Well, God would say, submit to mine. Okay, on what basis should I submit to your boundaries? Because I have redeemed you. Do you see how it goes back to that? When he is talking to the Israelite people in that moment and God's going, hey, obey me. He's going, why should you obey me? Because I redeemed you. What other God brought you out of Egypt? No other God brought you out of Egypt. I brought you out of Egypt. I have proven myself to be a sovereign and good God over your life. Therefore, submit to me. Put your will and submit to it. Now, that leads me uh, talking about God requires us, the call to obedience. What was the, and then I kind of got ahead of myself. But what is the reason for obedience? Obedience in and of itself is not the goal. Obedience is a means to the end, which is what? What is the goal and purpose of obedience? It's intimacy with God. That it is in obedience with God that we walk with him. This is what 1 John tells us. To walk with him and to know him in a special and intimate way. Other religions might say, obey, and then God will save you. 
What Christianity says, God has already saved you, therefore obey. When we choose to submit our will, in our moral will unto God, we know that we're doing it to a God who has loved us and cares for us. Not only do we submit to his will because he has already redeemed us, but because of this idea he has redeemed us because he loves us. I want you to think about this illustration for a second. I want you to I want to say this phrase and I want you to play around with it in your head for a second. The more you love someone, the more they have control over you. The more you love someone, the more they have control over you. The more you're willing to submit to them, the more you're willing to do what they ask. You may not think of it like that way as control, because oftentimes when we think of someone controlling us, we we live in such an individualistic culture that we go, oh, I can't have anyone control me. Just have someone tell you to put on a mask and see what happens, right? Or take it off, whatever it is, doesn't matter. The fact that it doesn't matter what it's being asked, the fact that someone's asking you to do it, you're going to see real quickly that we don't necessarily like people controlling us. But So we don't often think about this phrase, the more you love someone, the more they have control over you, because you don't think of it as control. Because there's an intimacy and a relationship there that your obedience isn't a duty, your obedience is a delight. And when we begin to think about how we approach the Ten Commandments or how we approach any commandment that God gives us, our call to obedience is to submit our will to him because he has redeemed us and he loves us and we love him because he has redeemed us. And because we love him, then we don't think of this as a duty that, oh, I've got to be faithful to God. Oh my goodness, he redeemed me and loves me. I just got to be faithful to him. No, it is not a duty for me to be faithful to my wife. It is a delight to be faithful to my wife because I love her and she loves me. And because of that love, the faithfulness is easier. It is easy. In the same way it is when we think about God, when we come to obedience to him, it is not a duty that we do grudgingly, but it's because he has redeemed us. His requirement to faithfulness is a delight to do. And this is the idea that we come to. And so what does he do? God has redeemed us and required us to commandment number one, which is what? To worship him exclusively. John, or excuse me, Exodus 20, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. So simple. When you look at the culture, the Israelite people, they're coming out of Egypt. When God redeemed and made a covenant with Abraham, Abraham was coming out of a pluralistic culture. Egypt was a pluralistic culture. Every other religion was very much a pluralistic religion and culture, meaning there was a number of gods that were competing for popularity or competing for you to to serve and to worship them. They were competing for your allegiance. And God simply saying, you shall have no other gods before me, that I I I am in a league of my own, and you are not to worship me and someone else. You are to worship me exclusively. Now, I think we've already answered this question, but let me continue to answer it further. Why are we to worship him exclusively? Two reasons. First, he built us. God is our creator. We don't just worship him because he redeemed us, even though that's a really good reason. We're going to talk more about that in a second. But before he ever redeemed us, he created us. We read Genesis 1 and 2. We see how God created us in his image, that we are his And out of the response of that, we owe our allegiance unto him. 
We even see this as a foundational idea when the first commandment is addressed in Romans chapter 1, verse 18. If you want to, I'm going to read verses 18 through 25, and so if you want to follow along with me, I'm going to continue to talk for a second just to give you an opportunity to turn there. But Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 25 says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of mankind. So disobedience. Who by their unrighteousness or disobedience suppress the truth. They're not faithful to God's word and his commandments. Verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. So we're seeing God and creation beginning to be uh, talked about. And we see his divine attributes and the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God, meaning they weren't faithful to the first commandment. They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But instead, they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God, or worship of the immortal God, for images resembling mortal man, and birds, and animal, and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. Let me just pause there for a second. One of the foundations that is argued here is that they were disobedient to God because they chose to worship the creation over the creator. We as God's creation, he built us, he made us, he created us. How naive and foolish are we to worship other creations instead of the one who created us? But just think about that for a second. Like, like imagine you knew nothing about nothing. And someone came to you and said, hey, God created two things, you and something else. You have an option. You can choose the other thing that's created that's like you or less than you, or you can worship the one who created you. It's, it's, mentally, it's not that hard to go, well, I want to worship the one who created me, not the other thing that's like me or less than me, or even the thing you created. That's probably a better illustration. God created you. You created something else. You're going to worship the thing you created, or you're going to worship the one that created you. Well, if I created it, then that means it's less than me. Why would I worship something less than me? Let me worship something greater than me. But Romans 1.18, Scripture says, this is what all of us have done in disobedience and sin. We took a moment, and, and sin can be defined simply as this, the willingness to choose to worship yourself over worshiping God. When we worship something else, when we go after something in creation, we're worshiping ourselves. We're, we're making the goal on us. We are the supreme being in that equation. Our worship is on us and what our sinful, selfish desires want instead of worshiping us. And Romans 1.18 says, that are in following basically is that they chose to worship creation over the creator. They chose not to be obedient to the first commandment, which was what? You shall have no other gods before me, including yourself, including creation. I want us to ask the question, well, what is the consequence? When we choose to worship another God, what is God's response? And here's an actually scary response. Verse 24 Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. What was the consequence is they got exactly what they were wanting. 
One of the scariest things is that God gives you the false God that you actually have been seeking after. Because in that moment, he says, okay, if that's what you really think will satisfy you, you can have it. And I, don't, I, I, I trust and I believe all of Scripture, and one of the things all of Scripture teaches me is that God pursues me until my last breath, and I'm grateful for that. But all, Scripture also gives us this verse that says, hey, if you think that's going to please you so much and you just worship it, God might actually give it to you. He might actually allow your heart to be hardened. But I want us to see that we are called to worship him exclusively because he built us and second, because he bought us. Just a play on words there. He built us and he bought us. Hopefully it's an easy way to remember it, but it goes back to the redemption part, which Paul would get into in Romans chapter three, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But listen to this. And all are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation or a payment by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he has passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Guys, he has redeemed us and requires us to worship him exclusively. And we worship him exclusively because he is our creator and he built us and he created us, but then he also bought us back. It's a full circle statement. We start with God's redemption, which leads us to our obedience, but it's also the foundation for all that we do. And so I want to challenge you that the first commandment is not hard. We don't need, we don't need uh, you know, a lot of explanation of what the first commandment is. It's to worship him exclusively. It's to worship God, not God and this, but God alone. We and our allegiance is with God. It is with Jesus Christ. King and Lord of our lives. And we are called the first commandment to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love God with all that we have and to worship him exclusively. Why? Because he has created you and he has redeemed you and he has proven his love and grace and faithfulness to you. Who else is worthy of that worship? Who else? No one. And so here's the challenge for us is that we talk about a new hope that we want to be people who live surrendered to the lordship of Jesus. Well, here it is. To be obedient to him, to start there. You are our God. Our job is not our God. Our vocation is not our job. Our dreams is not our God. This relationship is not our God. None of these things are our God. All of these things are wonderful blessings, and they are other wonderful things a part of your creation, but they are not God. And they cannot save you. And they have not saved you. Therefore, we worship the one who has saved us and poured out his love on us. And so I challenge you, as we prayed earlier, what is it that you need to surrender the lordship over to? What is it that you need to surrender over to the lordship of Jesus? What is it that you need to go, God, you have not been God in this area of my life. And I need to surrender that to you. Or maybe you just need to surrender to him for the first time. God has redeemed you and requires you, which that sounds negative, but it's a great positive. It is not a duty. It's a delight that he requires us to what? Worship him exclusively. He deserves it. He has earned it. And let us live our lives worshiping him above all.
Amen. Let's pray. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can email us at info at newhopeny.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for those outlets is newhopenyc. Our website is newhopeny.org. If you are in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 164-2 Gothels Avenue in Jamaica, Queens. We're praying for you and we hope to see you soon.